Welcome to the Natural Capital Podcast, produced as part of the Farm Advisory Service in association with the Scottish Government. My name is Rachel Smiley and in this series we explore different natural capital assets and their value to Scottish agriculture and the rural economy, plus the pressures and threats they face. We speak to people, groups and experts, helping to manage, protect and restore these resources, ecosystems and habitats. In this episode of Natural Capital, we are talking about landscape scale and collaborative farming initiatives, and we are joined by Ross McLeod from the Game and Wildlife Conservation Trust, who are a lead organisation in a landscape scale concept called Farm Clusters. Welcome to the podcast, Ross. You are Head of Policy for Scotland at the Game and Wildlife Conservation Trust. Your role helps to inform policies for game and wildlife management in Scotland through evidence-based practice with a focus on nature-friendly land management, an important aspect that we like to discuss on the Natural Capital podcast. Can you tell us a bit more about yourself, your background and your work at the Game and Wildlife Trust? Hi, Rachel. It's really great to be on this Natural Capital podcast. Uh, I live on a small farm in the Scottish borders and I work for the Game and Wildlife Conservation Trust, as you said. We are a research and education charity. We've been in existence for over 90 years. Uh, we employ 25 postdoctoral researchers and about 50 other scientists, and we also run two demonstration farms, one in England, which is chiefly an arable operation. Uh, we've run that for about 30 years, and we've got one in Scotland too, which is a hill edge livestock enterprise, and we took that on as a tenant at the end of 2014. And as you said in your introduction, I'm involved on policy matters, so a lot of my time is absorbed Uh, on government consultations relating to biodiversity, the environment and land management. Uh, And inevitably, a lot of that work is influenced by the concerns around climate change and biodiversity loss. And uh, that respect, I think there's one thing I'd like to really try and get across to politicians and decision makers, and that's that land managers like farmers and gamekeepers can help to deliver solutions. But I fear that too often we're seen as part of the problem. So if we're going to solve the big issues, I think we need to do so together. So that's my main sort of remit, if you like. And we've crossed paths before in some of the natural capital work that you've been involved in, in the natural capital assessment trials. And we can discuss that just in a wee bit. But firstly, just natural capital, how central is it to your organisation and the work that you're involved in? It's, It's really central. I've been reflecting on that recently because... I guess natural capital is a new um, term to to many people, but I guess when I look back at all the research that we've undertaken over the sort of 90 plus years of the existence of the the trust, that uh, a lot of that, the the principles have been embedded. So, you know, that core looking after natural assets and thinking about how we use them constructively have been there for a long time. So for instance, we've been overseeing one of the longest running monitoring projects, measuring the impact of uh, on farming of, of fauna and flora and arable land. It's what we call the Sussex study. We've been looking after that for over 50 years. It featured in the the National Geographic blog a couple of years back on its 50 years. And uh, also on our two demonstration farms, they do have to stand on their own feet, but they've also given us the means to to research the relationships between agricultural production, greenhouse gas emissions, soil health, water management, biodiversity, all the issues that are coming up with uh, the natural capital agenda now. And I think it's in that area where there's some really exciting prospects in relation to natural capital. And and it led us to set up what we call natural capital advisory. And the key components to that are that 
that enables our team of natural capital consultants to undertake biodiversity auditing, convening groups of farmers and landowners, that's bringing them together to work at the scale. And that draws on the farmer cluster principle, of course. And a quite important element is about brokering, which is connecting farming to green finance, to legal aspects, to accounting and investor communities. So that's, I think, is going to be something that will grow. But perhaps above all, as far as the trust is concerned, it's about monitoring to ensure that the, the environmental projects that are put in place are meeting the requirements of, of what we're looking for. So, yep, we've sort of got natural capital embedded in us. And it's good to hear that the whole brokering side of things as well, you do acknowledge that, yeah, there is biodiversity audits, but then it needs to be connected to the green finance and make that kind of link about how people can get value from their natural capital assets. So that's interesting. Moving on, can you tell us a bit about the farm clusters you have set up? Like what are farmer clusters and how did they come about? Well, I mentioned the, the Sussex study earlier, and I think that was the first time we sort of figured that doing things at landscape scale might provide solutions. And that was perhaps the origin of the farmer cluster principle. But it was really set out in a concept report that um, the Trust provided to Natural England in 2013, and it grew from that. And perhaps the major stepping stone, certainly in England, has been the introduction of a countryside stewardship facilitation fund, which enables groups of farmers to uh, engage a facilitator, it's usually a conservationist or an ecologist, to help them bring the meetings together between the groups of farmers, work out what it is what they that they want to look at, and take forward uh, a plan and, and monitoring. So, I mean, to give you an idea about how how successful that's been in England, there are about a hundred clusters uh, in England now, covering about four hundred thousand hectares. So we're not talking small beer here; it's a pretty pretty large area of of England. We haven't unfortunately got the same kind of stewardship facilitation fund in Scotland, but. We've been able to get some clusters off the ground, but I have to say it's been a little bit more informal rather than formal. And where are the cluster groups that are in Scotland? Well, for instance, a couple of the ones that we've worked with for a few years now is one west of Inverness called the West Loch Ness Cluster, which stretches from uh, the south shore of the Bewley Firth right up over the hill down to the other side to Loch Ness. So it covers a variety of, of farming um, landscapes and, and habitats. So that's quite important one. Um, Strathmore cluster, um, which is around Cooper Angus in Perthshire and that area, that's been growing quite steadily over the, the last few years and it's mainly obviously arable focused. But equally, I mean, the, the, there's others that we're involved with too, some around catchments that we're looking at at the moment, but there are other informal organisations. For instance, I was at a meeting yesterday of the Clyde Valley Wader Group, which is supported by SAC Consulting and RSPB. So the, the reach of the principle of clusters is big. Just we, if we can formalise it in some way in the future in Scotland, that would be fantastic. I think the, the other positive development that certainly we've been working on is what we would describe as the producer group clusters. And these are arable farms um, that may be producing particular product for food and drink companies. And again, it's that balance between a productive farming and, and making space for biodiversity. So one of the key ones that we're working on at the moment is with Peptico Quaker, and that involves six farms in Fife and Angus to monitor and demonstrate that this is practical and get that balance right between productive farming and making space for biodiversity. What type of things do you survey for in the Peptico Farmer Cluster Group? 
Okay, so I think the key ones are uh, farmland birds, obviously, so that would be things like corn buntings and yellow hammers. We also look for um, raptors, it could be kestrels, things like that, which are usually an indication of good small mammal population like voles, stuff like that, which is really important for that overall balance. And we're also looking at invertebrates, principally bumblebees and things like that, and also just um, monitoring the the habitats that are put in place by the farmers, such as the cover crops, the unharvested crops, and the, uh, the flower block margins, things like that. Um, just keeping an eye on those as well. So quite a composite mix of things. We actually done an episode with Mary Jane Laurie and the Farm Wildlife Walk, where we spoke about bird ID apps. Have you used anything like Merlin ID, the soundscape, where you can see what birds are near you yeah i've used it personally at, at home here and it's it's, it's great that you, you feel a bit stupid wandering around with your mobile phone in the air walking around but uh, <laughs> you see lots of farmers doing that in the future they're probably all using merlin but aside from that we use well two two kind of principal types of surveys one is a transect survey where a surveyor walks and records all the species seen on a fixed route and the other may be to, to stop at a particular spot and survey for a period of time. We call that a vantage point survey. So those are the two main ones that we we'll probably use in the uh, producer group cluster work. For the Merlin, have you came across any exciting birds that you haven't seen, but it's picked up on a personal level? Oh, on a personal level, yeah. Um, uh, crossbills on the farm. I hadn't realised they were there. They're in the tops of the high, uh, the high conifer plantation on the edge of the farm. Mm -hmm. And there was a reed bunting as well, which is really intriguing. So that's that's been been quite exciting. So are the farmers in a farmer cluster, do they come together just in a shared interest? So you mentioned the wader groups. So are they the farmers coming together, making the habitat better for waders? Yeah, that's really okay. critical. Is I think that it's having some kind of local interest that the farmers can get around, um, join around. It could be waders in some areas. It could be um, something to do with water quality in others. So, you know, as I mentioned catchment. So some farmers are looking at how they can improve or reduce diffuse pollution. And from our point of view, monitoring birds like dippers and kingfishers gives us an indication of how well that's going. So simple things like that, we can make the connections. And so the, the key is really if the, if the farmers have something which is of mutual interest across the group. And if a farmer wanted to set one up or get involved, how would they go about it in Scotland? I think the key really is to reach out to your neighbours and to find out what they're interested in and just get some informal discussion going uh, to start off with. Then thereafter, you can get some advice from for instance, our, our Farmer Clusters website, www.farmerclusters.com. And that really gives a, a sort of route, a small route map there. We can get advice on how to, to get things going. Uh, clearly, the funding situation is different in Scotland from England, but I can suggest talking to GWCT Scotland. We can, we can often find little pockets of money through, through funding, even through Nature Scots as well. Our Loch Ness cluster has been supported by a, a Nature Scot funding. So... There are ways and means we can do that. And are the Game and Wildlife Trust Farm in Scotland, is that a part of any cluster groups? It is informally. Um, our Ochnaran farm up in, up in Aberdeenshire, we, we liaise closely with our neighbours, the McRobert Trust Farms. 
and also other farms there which have an interest in, in wading birds for instance so we sort of had informal contact with them and organize events sometimes around that i think the other thing we are involved in a project with the cairngorm national park as well uh, the six farms involved in looking at sort of basically natural capital and carbon auditing so again that's just giving the the, the cairngorm national park perspective on uh, the clusters and that sort of collaborative aspect too so once a group of farmers have came together under like a shared interest, does most of the funding come from maybe public funds? Is that part of it for them to do like the habitat restoration or is it, will there be private finance, do you think, in the future? I have to say at the moment, we've got small amounts of, sort of private funding to support the, the cluster principle or or where there's an interest from, it could be some in-kind work. So we do work alongside Nature Scott, for instance, in the producer group clusters because they're interested in understanding how the farmers could use their um, biodiversity assessments and some of the app tools that are under development through Nature Scott. So I think that's quite an important bridge um, into the future. So it's giving the farmers an insight on the outcomes type approach that Scottish Government is looking for. But I, I do think probably most funding in future will probably come through the private sector so i think again it's getting used to the idea of, of finding pockets of money from different sources that can might make up any shortfall in single farm payment in the future and part of that may be if you can collaborate at scale then there may be good good um, sources of funding for that particularly for instance from the, the food companies we've been working with there might be some opportunities that way and do you feel that the food companies that you work with are looking for the farms to do natural capital assessments or provide more data on biodiversity on their farms? I think key for the, the, the food companies are, first of all, to know that the, the farms they're involved with are efficient, they're productive, they are driving down use of fertiliser where it's possible, fuel reductions as well so being efficient in that sense so that their their own carbon footprint from farm to fork if you like is is can be demonstrated to be as efficient as it can be but i think also it's important for those food and drink companies to be able to say um, with some honesty that there is a good biodiversity footprint as well so again it's really at the moment we're we're, we're kind of researching the the evidence for that and being able to demonstrate the evidence that you can make that space for for nature alongside the farming um so that will be i think important to the companies as far as their brand is concerned and and therefore to those who buy the products and you mentioned one of the cluster groups is for pepsico and quaker do the pepsico and quaker do they support the groups with any funding yeah, they've been really helpful. And in some ways, it's been great because it's extended a project we've had in the area, which goes back to the middle of, of, of last decade, where it was an EU interreg funded project looking at exactly this issue of being able to support biodiversity on productive farms. So it's given a lifeline to this project. So we have a lot to be thankful to PepsiCo Quaker for being able to extend the project. So that's been great. But it also allows us to to work also with other stakeholders. I've mentioned Nature Scott are in with us on that as well. Scottish Agronomy are there at the table as well. And Kingdom Farms, who are one of the principal farms for the group, are there too. So bringing all these guys and groups together is 
really important and i think that gives us that you know step forward to to know that we're going ahead into the future with with sort of all all the stakeholders involved not just us i think that's really really important yeah pharma clusters seem like the way forward we can provide links to everything that's been spoken about and more information on the pharma clusters in the show notes you were involved in Nature Scott's natural capital pilot, where you tested a natural capital assessment tool on Game and Wildlife Trust Ochnerin Farm. Correct. Yeah. And we can provide a link to the participant interview in the show notes of this episode. Has your involvement in this made you think about natural capital on Ochnerin and your own farm differently? Absolutely, yes. I mean, I think we can see, having gone through the process and kept in touch with with Nature Scott. So, for instance, we're involved with the Nature Scott uh, Farming with Nature group, um, and that's really given us a window into how things will be done in future. So, we can see the two building blocks for that will be the carbon audits and the future biodiversity assessment, and that makes a lot of sense to us because it gives you gives you some of the sort of baselines for understanding what's happening in that balance between emissions and sequestration on the one hand, as far as your productive farming is concerned, but also understanding what your your habitat condition is like and what you could do to improve on that aspect too. So that's really given us um, food for thought about what we do at Ochnerin, but it's also given us a lot of food for thought about how we approach, for instance, engagement with government and Nature Scott and, and how we go forward with those those aspects working together. I think one of the critical things going forward will be to make sure that there is expertise, consulting expertise that can help farmers achieve that balance between productive farming and biodiversity stewardship. And I think that's going to be quite hard because either you're in one camp or the other at the moment and finding people who can blend those skills of uh, understanding how farmers can do so productively, but also you know have respect for biodiversity is going to be really challenging. But that's the, the task we set ourselves. And I think that's a really interesting, but, but as I say, a major challenge to go forward with. I think it was maybe over a year ago that um, you took part in the trial. So just say no if you can't. But can you remember any of the actions that the tool says that you should take to improve <laughs> natural capital on farm? Yeah, I think I think we had some areas of our grassland where the soil health could be looked at and improved, and um, that's that's a task we're now we're now getting on with. Um, so looking at a variety of things there, we were a primarily a sheep operation, and we've now introduced some cattle. Um, that should help with soil. We're also looking at herbal lays as well. So keeping an eye on what happens with those. So yeah, it has been quite positive from that point of view. It's made us think. Have you been a part of any other initiatives um, looking at natural capital or biodiversity, testing any tools on the farm? Well, yes, actually, we we undertook two natural capital audits, the one through Nature Scott and the 50 Farm project with SRUC. We also undertook a natural capital assessment, which gave us a sort of financial perspective on, on our, our natural assets. And in some ways, that was quite useful because it gave us an indication of the funding and financial implications of anything that we do over the longer term thinking about how that changes over time so that was quite useful too so the the focus of the of the SRUC Nature Scott work gave us food for thought about the condition of our habitats and the other natural capital and assessment we did gave us a view on the sort of financial implications so when you put the two together 
that was quite a powerful insight really into to thoughts for the future yeah there just needs to be a tool now that does both but i think quite a lot of tools are coming out that measures natural capital differently and it just goes back to different interpretation of natural capital and what people think it means to them it's a really good point rachel and i think one of the issues we we are concerned with is a sort of raft of measurements that are coming out i mean there's huge amounts of interest in in all of this and that's a good thing but trying to find a little bit more sort of stability so that people can go forward with confidence i think is the next step that the sector needs to undertake and get to grips with so it's it's difficult for farmers at the moment because they're confronted with people offering them all kinds of sort of different measures and possibilities I think probably the, the, the sensible thing is to take stock once the new biodiversity assessment comes in from Nature Scott, because that will at least give a simple view on what the condition of your, your habitat and soils and things look like. And that may be the jumping off point for future measurement of things um, once those measures have become a little bit more stable. As you say, a lot, a lot of tools and methods are coming out and people are saying it's so important to gather baselines. but you could gather a baseline this year and by the time you want to redo it, all the systems have improved or changed and your baseline's no longer a baseline of using the correct tool. So I think it's quite complicated at the moment. Yeah, very complicated. I'd agree with that. And I think it, the, the challenge is to keep things simple right now. Just very simple recording, maybe the key species that are seen on the farm, the key habitats that are there, and just taking some simple notes and of that. And then uh, as things settle down and develop, um, there's a bit more consistency. And perhaps even I think there's a role for gov- government to come in and provide that sort of governance framework to say this is how things will work. But recognise, as you suggest, that things will need to change over time. One thing we can guarantee is with climate change, things won't stand still. We'll need to adapt. And I think that's going to be critical too in the way that we measure things in future. Yeah, consistency, that was the word I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> Final question. Do you have any advice to farmers who are looking to work collaboratively? Yeah, I think I think the key thing will be, as I mentioned earlier, to reach out to some farmers and friends locally, find out what they're interested in. You know, what kind of species might sort of might ring a bell with the, the local folk you know it could be wading birds it could be the the, the birds we've, we've we've talked about in connection with water quality like kingfishers and dippers but certainly in the arable farms for instance we've worked with in fife and angus the, the key species might be corn bunting or or the gray partridge which of course is gwct's logo thanks ross for joining us really enjoy chatting with you today and finding out about the important work and projects you're undertaking thanks rachel it's been a pleasure thank you If you want to find out more information on what we have discussed, we have provided links in the show notes and there's lots of additional content on the Fast Sounds pages and Farm Advisory Service website. You can listen to all of the podcasts produced for Fast Sounds wherever you normally listen to your podcasts. This includes Thrill of the Hill, where you can go back and listen to more from today's guest where they discussed game bird sector and its role in supporting the farmed upland environment. In the latest episode, Alex explores the controversial topic of lynx reintroduction, discussing the concerns and arguments for and against introduction. Agriculture has also returned from its new series. 
including chatting with Mike Duxbury about his life in agriculture as a blind farmer and how he set up the Inclusive Farm, a working farm with the aim of making agriculture accessible to all. So plenty to listen to and we'll hope you'll join us for the next episode of Natural Capital. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.